Welcome back, Sierra Killers, to another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. Over the last few months, a lot of folks on our social media have asked for properties from the 1990s. So today, I'm digging into one of my favorite files, the 2000 American Japanese film adaptation from 20th Century Fox in Saban Entertainment, Digimon the Movie. This movie was a direct tie into the popular Saturday morning franchise, capitalizing on the partner monster genre made popular by the emergence of Pokemon in the years before. While it was the first American Digimon film, this film would be a combination of the three short films from the Japanese television franchise first. Footage from 1999's Digimon Adventure and 2000's Digimon Adventure R War Game and Digimon Adventure 02 Digimon Hurricane Landing slash Transcendent Evolution The Golden Digimentals. What a mouthful. Since over 45 minutes of the three movies were cut for use in the American film, on the American side, the critics would consider this an original release. Digimon, which is officially branded Digimon Digital Monsters, is a Japanese franchise that encompasses virtual pets, toys, television, manga, video games, movies, and even trading card games. The franchise centers around creatures called Digimon, made up of digital data and material, if you will, who reside in a parallel universe to our Earth called the Digital World. A real original, I know. When these Digimon are partnered with chosen warriors called the Digidestin, uh, they use a Digivice, which makes them grow larger, grow more powerful. You guys get it. Brought into the toy market in 1997 as a quote-unquote masculine counterpart to the massively successful Tamagotchi franchise, these small pixel monsters were meant to be cute and look adorable even on the small digital screens. But later, as they developed into cards and comics and television, they developed a much harder edge. I mean, we even have a Digimon who is a literal handgun. <laughs> In 1999, an anime entitled Digimon Adventure and a video game called Digimon World were released to moderate success in its initial Japanese market. Toy Animation brought the anime to life along with Bandai Japan. While originally meant to just be a short film, as storyboards developed and as they kept growing, it was decided that this had to be developed as a children's television show. Fox Broadcasting was responsible for the localization and dubbing and distribution to the American, European, and Canadian markets, where Saban would be responsible for dubbing the first four series. Now, like a lot of stories you've heard along the way, in 2003, the Walt Disney Company would acquire Digimon as part of a mass buyout of their Fox family. Um, you know, things like Digimon, they didn't particularly care about, much like Power Rangers and a lot of their other Saturday morning lineup. But again, they saw a successful franchise. So in its third season, Digimon Tamers, they would begin broadcasting on Disney-owned channels instead of just Fox ones. So like ABC Family, Disney XD, JetX, those kinds of things. The Digimon movie in America is a weird subsection of the first two television series of Digimon. Digimon Adventure, simply known as Digimon, Digital Monster in America, followed the story of eight kids who experienced a weird snowstorm at summer camp and get pulled into the mysterious digital world where they meet these monsters called Digimon who are their partner Digimon and they acquire powerful devices called Digivices that help their Digimon Digivolve and as the lyrics of the theme song say save the digital world the American series kept a lot of the dark tones that were explored in the Japanese series 
and it was a fast favorite with the audiences at home. No, unlike Pokemon and other monster genre shows before it, in Digimon, each Digidestin has a single Digimon that they bond with who all speak and have unusual personalities and are a counterpart to the unusual, neurotic, or overly confident characters that we get in a kid's anime. And unlike Pokemon, your Digimon can die. That was one of the biggest changes in the series. I mean, Rip Leomon, am I right? Now, Digimon Adventure 02 picks up three years after the original series, focusing on the two youngest of the original crew, TK and Kari, along with three new Digidestin named Davis, Cody, and Yo Lee, and their fancy new Digivices. Now, much like Adventure before it, Digimon Adventure 02 explored dark and real world issues, showed death as a part of the human and Digimon experience, and also talked about how we can cope with these and be better partners to each other as humans. The show really cemented itself not to tell just a funny story, but also a heartfelt story and also influence and manipulate the emotions of the viewers, unlike most of its partner shows at the time. So Digimon the movie is a prequel, a sequel, and a continuation. Kari, one of our heroes from both season one and season two, narrates through the three sections of the film, and they utilize voiceover to introduce a lot of plot and, and do some story developing in a way that they were able to when they cut a ton of the original animation. Now, they use this to introduce an American boy named Willis, or I will also use Wallace because that was his name in the uh, Japanese version. I know. Uh, typical blonde American boy um, who we meet in the third section of the film and as a way to kind of tie in all three parts of the story together. In part one, we see the first group of Digidestin as young children who one night witness a colossal Digimon fight at their apartment complex. And between a giant Agumon, and, and no, not Tai's Agumon, and a Parrotmon, this would imprint on Kari particularly, and it would cement the eight kids who would become the Digidestin in Adventure 1. Now, the second section is a sequel to Digimon Season 1, Digimon Adventure. At the end of Digimon Adventure, the Digidestin must say goodbye to their Digimon who have to stay in the digital world with a being called Jedi as they help rebuild after the Dark Masters destroyed everything. But as the world watches, a computer virus comes to life in the body of a Digimon, and it begins a race against the clock as a new Digimon called Diaboramon tries to destroy the internet from the inside out worldwide. But one of the original Dizzy Dustin is a computer whiz named Izzy, and he's able to get the Digimon, their Digimon partners in to help fight Diabaramon, but they are no match. So Matt and Ty end up slipping into the internet as they're watching their Digimon in their mega form die. And they end up bonding together in what we know becomes the first DNA digivolution of Megatype Omnimon, a super knight who was able to defeat Diaboramon, and man, was he fucking cool looking. In this version of the story specific to America, it was said that Wallace, or Willis, accidentally created Diaboramon as he was trying to figure out what was wrong with his twin Digimon that popped out of the computer the same night that Ty's Digi-Egg popped out in the first part. I know, they really got convoluted in trying to make this work together. Now, midway through Digimon Adventure 2, our heroes are on vacation. This is the third part of the film. 
And we see the older Digidestined as mid-teenagers now, and they seem to be going on, on with their lives. And this third section eventually finds us all in America, where the Digidestins meet Willis, and they help him defeat the corrupted Kokomon and bring back Kokomon in a more purified way back to Wallace and his other partner, Terriermon. This movie revisits the ultimate and mega forms of Patamon and Gatomon from Digimon Adventure 1, as well as introduce the Digi Golden Eggs, which we would see pop up in the TV series. That's why it's truly, I'm not sure where they lie, because Ken, the Digimon Emperor, is not in this movie. Now you're probably saying, wow, Maddie, this sounds like a complete clusterfuck. And don't worry, because you're right. And while the critics didn't appreciate it, the audience loved it which would cement why we would continue to get Digimon series on American television. Disney would eventually release all the Japanese films dubbed with their original scripts and the original American voice actors on Jetix and Disney XD over the years. And these versions of the films are all still available for viewing, and I highly recommend uh, you doing. I'll go into that a little bit later. Now, while the genre of monster partner anime and manga is huge, it is still huge because of their releasing Digimon and Pokemon are always put directly in competition with each other and in comparison, which, you know, as a fan of both franchises, I couldn't see them as night and day different. I always like to put it like this. Pokemon has the superior video game franchise, while Digimon has a much more nuanced and interesting television franchise. In fact, Digimon recently celebrated 20 and 25th anniversaries, in which they revisit the Adventure Kids as early 20-somethings and where they are in the world and then having to pick up their Digivices again to save our world and the digital world and also see what the ramifications of their actions as children have on the future world. And... They've also completely remade Digimon Adventure all over again, but this time they made it look like what it would look like in 2020. And no, I don't mean it's woke or things that, you know, the American audience was to think. It follows a completely different and, and I would argue much darker path. So these kids are visiting things and, and discovering things that the original kids wouldn't have had the, the vocabulary to deal with. And while this is not to say that their video games for Digimon weren't successful or fun, they weren't the main focus of the series. But like most franchises of the time, they were a necessary part of the marketing machine. And they both exist in the giant vacuum of nostalgia that is still paying off 20 years after its initial inception and debut. And I gotta say, if any of you have your Digimon toys at home, particularly your Digivices, y'all, I would pull them out, I would buff them out and put them on display because y'all, they are worth a lot of money. Even so to the point that Bandai Japan has re-released all of the Digivices in kind of what I like to call an adult collectible form because they understand that adults have... Um, disposable income so you're looking at like they're awesome reproductions they do really cool things but they're like 150 to 200 dollars plus the imports so like i if you still got them pull them out because that is literally gold in your pocket and we'll be right back after this Are you tired of watching your beloved characters being tortured by careless authors? 
Are you sick of feeling like they could have swapped out all of the painful action and the plot would remain untouched? Subscribe to Books That Burn, the fortnightly book review podcast focusing on fictional depictions of trauma. We assume that the characters' reactions are reasonable and focus on how badly or well they were served by their authors. Join us for our minor character spotlights, main character discussions, and favorite non-traumatic things in the dark books we love. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Summon fish to the dish, although I like the shallow Swiss, I like the sushi, cause it's never touch a frying pan. Hot like wasabi when I bust rhymes, speak like me and rhymes, because I'm all about value. Welcome back. So, for me, the first reason why I love revisiting this film, as well as all of its Japanese counterparts, through season four is because of the animation. So, unlike this series, which was handled by its television division, All the shorts and movies were handled by Toei Animation's film division, which meant it looks just a little different. To me, it's, I can describe it as the difference between like a quick digital format that you need for a TV show versus a long form hand-drawn format, which isn't directly the case here, but I find it's the, the easiest way to describe it. But there's something so delicate and so whimsical about the line work. And while most of the characters have roughly the same costumes in one way or another, it's a revisiting to how we look and see these characters, whether they're our new characters in the Digimon Adventure 2 section, or whether they are our grown-up counterparts to our Digimon Adventure 1 uh, characters. In the third section... The Japanese counterpart, we see Windigomon, who is Kokomon in the American, capture the older teen Digidestin. And we really see them flex on making these characters look more mature. And they had so much fun exploring the evolution of the six into older teenagers and 20-somethings. There's a jarring combination of TV footage predominantly in the Digivolution sections and the attack sections that were put in specifically for the American film because they needed to pull those moments, I guess, for the American audiences. I'm not really sure why. It's mostly in those Digivolution sections. But in the second portion, they leave in the Toei. We So we not only see their affinity for the animation, but also the kind of rich history of kaiju films that are personified in this animation in the character design of the fight. The characters also move in a more fluid, and I hate to use this term again, but whimsical way versus the kind of choppy, stagnant way that we see in a lot of like frame-to-frame animation series. Now, while the script itself isn't particularly winner and it's not going to win a Pulitzer, it was a direct response to the success, and I use that term loosely, of the first two Pokemon movies. They really did try their level best to make these films kind of fit together in a cohesive plot for the American version. Now, we've been seeing Bandai do this with a lot of their live-action properties like Power Rangers and Beetleborg since the early 90s. And so you could see a lot of the trial and error coming from that to aid in this film of kind of cobbling together the story. But they really attempted some major character growth for a lot of these characters in a way that just wasn't present or time didn't allow in a 21-minute version of the TV series. 
Though after the triumph that was Omnimon in that animation in the second half, it's really hard to transition to the golden digi-eggs in the third act, which still seem a little lackluster. Though my buddy Terriermon would show up again in Digimon Tamers, the third series, which makes me so happy. The script essentially came down to the fact that the studio refused to pay for a two-hour movie. Now, this movie is just over 90 minutes, so we're talking the difference of a half an hour of animation and script and editing and voices, but, like, that's very expensive, that half an hour. I know Sam over at Let's Rewatch uh, is probably screaming right now (laughs) about how much a half an hour of animation can cost uh, a feature. And so that's what led to most of the third chunk really being cut. And it's super easy, I encourage you, to find all of these in the uh, kind of Disney XD format of how they uh, dub them and release them. And I really encourage you all to go and watch that. Now, like a lot of movies of the time, a major selling point to me for this movie is the soundtrack. Not even just the score, which is great, but like the pop soundtrack. Now, when you say Digimon Digital Monsters, I don't know what you immediately think, but I don't think New Wave Punk Pop Ska. But this soundtrack is just bright and sunny and features some bands like the Mighty Mighty Boston's Less Than Jake, Smash Mouth, yes, it's All-Star, Fatboy Slim, and even a really awesome new rendition of Kids in America. And they're just a huge sticking point showing as the kids say uh, that someone over at Bandai and Fox truly understood the assignment. Now, I was re-watching this again the other night, and it was like, oh, fuck, they, they made these songs just fit so beautifully in. And again, they were the pop music of the time. You could not turn on a radio station without hearing a lot of these songs once or twice an hour. So it made the most sense because like parents were begrudgingly being pulled along to see this. So now while I don't think story-wise, this movie is a super success. It causes me to revisit everything that I love about Digimon. And I have to say, I always immediately start a rewatch. Now, right now I didn't start a rewatch. I started a watching of the new Digimon adventure series because it just ended and y'all fuck. It's so good. And I know a lot of you listening were a bit older than the target demographic that Digimon was kind of made for at the time. But I got to say, I encourage you to go out and try the first three series. They're quite a bit long, but I'll tell you, by the time you get to Digimon Tamers, fuck, does it pay off? They have such a rich world that they've built and they continue to build and change and alter and show how it influenced and grow. And some of the most amazingly emotional moments that still make me cry to this day. Again, I say rip Leomon every fucking season. They explore themes that American animes of the time weren't exploring. And I dare say it really holds up like this movie overall. It's kind of garbage, but that's, they were throwing darts at the wall and trying to make something stick. And the mythos and the world building that they continue to rely on 20 and 25 years later, y'all, it's just top notch. Though, as you expect, the critics just, they didn't get it. Parents didn't get it. The kids loved it. 
It's got roughly a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. I know it's not a huge selling point. And while just about everyone critically liked it more than they liked either of the Pokemon movies, it just didn't work for them. But like, I also don't expect Roger Ebert to get the Digimon movie. And I take personal offense because the animation part of it in 2000 won the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards for Worst Achievement in Animation. But like, watch this movie and how fucking dare you. Like this movie, the director of these movies would go on to create Summer Wars inspired by his work on Digimon. Summer Wars is a brilliant anime film that I encourage all of you to go watch that is directly inspired by these movies. It feels like a Digimon movie. And... Like, I just find that the worst thing in exaggeration, like, they can fuck off. Now, after only having a budget of $5 million to make this movie work. Now, you're probably sitting there going, wow, $5 million to make animation that already exists work. But, like, you're shoehorning. You were, like, gluing together animation to make it work with a story that's different and... Oh, I get so heated, but like it only had a budget of 5 million and it was only released in 1825 theaters worldwide. So that is worldwide. That is more that is, that is roughly less than like a third of what most movies get today, but it pulled in about $16,643,000. Like that's, you know, a great for the time. It wasn't bad, especially for this kind of film. And, you know, we have this movie to thank directly for another favorite of everyone over here at SMC Pod. Because of the international success of Digimon, the movie, specifically, it led Toshi Suzuki to contact Mamoru Hosoda to direct Howl's Moving Castle. So go snuggle up with your Digimon partner, find those Digivices, open up that digital dive, pop some popcorn, and give Digimon the movie a second go. Before the Wicked Witch of the West and those gals from Salem, there was Circe, the captivating and kind of catastrophic Greek witch who did more than just turn men into pigs. I'm Rose. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Gloria. Join us this fall on Circling Circe, the podcast where we talk about Madeline Miller's incredible book, Circe. We go through the novel chapter by chapter. We laugh. We cry. From laughing. We swoon over Daedalus and other Greek hotties and talk way too much about food, life, and scented candles. I'm hydrated. I'm ready. I'm You're pumped ready. to talk about Greek gods and titans. <laughs> Let's do this. Lasagna is not supposed to be cool. It's supposed to be eaten hot, stupid. Who just looked at the cow and was like, hey, sexy, moo right over here. Like It's 11.45. I need to go eat my liver. My Prometheus pate. <laughs> and Granny's like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> We post every Wednesday, so mark your calendars. Make like Scylla. Grab a sailor. And dive in. Find Circling Circe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, do we want to do an outro? Or? Yeah. <laughs> Is that your outro? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Thanks again for joining us for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. These new episode formats are just so much fun for me to do, and I get to speak right to you, because most of you I know personally, and it's a way for us to hang out, and I just say thank you. Don't forget, $2 on a Patreon shows me that you love what I'm doing, 
and that you can't wait to see what we have coming in the new year. We have three new shows coming. I'm not going to tell you what they are yet. We are still pounding them out, but I'm hoping that at least three new shows get to come to you in this coming year while we continue to make SMC. Don't forget to come back next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.